The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 518 for Sunday, September 7th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. You know the show. It's the one where you try to learn stuff. We try to learn stuff. You ask questions. We try to give answers. We share your answers. We share your tips. We share all kinds of stuff. We have a blast here while we learn. And that is the goal. This episode is sponsored by Harry's at harrys.com. Uh, harrys.com with coupon code MGG gets you five bucks off your first order with them, which is really awesome. And we'll talk more about that during the show. Also, this episode is sponsored by Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. And visiting that link gets you seven days of free tutorials, videos, all of that great stuff that Linda is known for and does so well. And we'll talk more about that during the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Brown. You had to check your uh, surroundings there, John? Yeah. It was a pretty wild party last night. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that gets. Make sure you are where you think you are, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, you know that, you know, when you wake up and you're not quite sure where you are. Yeah. Well, listen. You ever, ever have that? I, dude, every day what I do, and it's great now because <laughs> I always have my iPhone with me and with this this case, which it, uh, which I like, the, uh, the, the spec uh, card I think it's the card folio case. Um, it's the one that oh, we'll put a link in the show notes now that I mentioned it, but um, it, it's the one that, that I can fit three credit card size things into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I have my license in there as well as uh, two credit cards, which is great. Cause if I leave the house, I have my phone and I definitely have my license in some way to pay people for mm-hmm. things. Um, but I have that with me. And when I get up in the morning, I go straight to the bathroom. I look in the mirror, I hold up my license. I make sure it's me. Right. And then my phone has the date on it and I compare the date on my phone to the date on my driver's license (laughs) and I make sure it's not my birthday. That's that's how I wake up every morning. Isn't that what everybody does? Well, if you you want to make sure you're grounded, then, yeah, no, that's a good. That's it. I know who I am. I know my name and I know if it's my birthday. What more? What three things do you need to know to start. I mean, is there anything better on the list to start the day? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's the way you start the day. Right. Yep. But today, John, at least to start the day, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about all of our listeners. It's all about the Larry's. (laughs) We've got three not one, not two, but three. We could actually, we probably could do a whole show of Larry's. I'm looking at the uh, the question queue. And if we go back, if we're willing to go back about a year, we could probably fill up the show with questions from people named Larry uh, that we have yet to answer on the show. But uh, but we're not going to do that. I, I don't think we're going to do that. But who knows? We get three deep into this, man. We might get on a tear. So um, tear it up, yo. Yeah. All right. So you want to start with, uh, you know what, John, why don't we start with, um, with Larry? I'm, I'm starting with Larry. Okay. Yeah. Start with Larry. Uh, Larry writes hi. Hi. Just hi. Uh. 
That's an interesting question. (laughs) I do not want to install the current version of Pages. The current version lacks the functionality I need from the previous version. And additionally, if used, we'll update my file formats and make my working files inaccessible to the old version. I cannot find a way to turn these notifications off. I'm very concerned I will accidentally update and then have to waste time fixing a problem that doesn't exist. I've tried Googling for an answer and I've failed to find something that works. How do I remove the current version of pages from my list of updates and turn these notifications off? That's a valid question. It's actually not obvious. No, we should answer this question because it's important to answer uh, how to do this. But, but with pages specifically, there is actually an asterisk with a caveat, but, but I think let's answer the question first. Then we'll we'll address that. Yeah. Then we'll address the caveat. Oddly enough, the answer to this problem is in a handy-dandy little article called Mac App Store Hiding and Underhiding Purchases. And if you look, um, so it gives instructions for various versions of OS X, and uh, starting with Mountain Lion, it appears. It gives you a whole bunch of steps here on how to you know, hide something. And then it says, note, you will no longer receive update notifications for items after they've been hidden from your purchases page. So, uh, that's a certainly, uh, in, in my book, non-intuitive way of turning off alerts. I mean, why don't you just have a choice somewhere saying turn off uh, update notifications? So, And, of course, if you hide something, so you won't see it anymore. And then they also have instructions on how to, un- yes, you can unhide something. But, but hiding a program from a purchase, even if it's a free one, because I had this problem, too, um, no, I, 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 I did want to upgrade to the later versions. So, so no, I did not have this problem. Okay. I've had it for other things where, yeah, yeah, just don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that, yeah. So, so what, what say exactly again, what the, the process is for, uh, for hiding these, it, you, you hit the little X right next to where it says that it's installed. Is that right? Um, in some versions, you'll see a little X, okay. um, or you right click and then you will see a hide purchase uh, item. Got it. And you say hide. Got so it, it. Depends. Uh, yeah. So it, it outlines how to do this in multiple uh, different versions. Okay. Okay. It's different. That. Yeah. Of course, it's different. Right. 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 Uh, that's interesting. Very interesting. All right. So yeah, but with pages, as we mentioned, there is this caveat because. Uh, it, he, everything Larry says is absolutely correct. If he updates and uses the new version of pages, uh, it's going to uh, update his file formats to the, the new uh, unified file format. It's actually not a new file format. It's the, the file format that you've had on, on iPad for a long time. And now uh, it, it is backed over to the Mac. And and yes, that that creates some wonkiness, uh, especially if you're in a mixed platform environment and all that stuff. So uh, Apple knew this. And what they do is if you update anything in iWork, uh, pages, numbers or Keynote, which all will will suffer or be affected, I should say, by this issue where you got a new format and a new everything. Uh, they actually the App Store will not replace the old version. It will take the old version and move it into an iWork. I believe it's iWork 09 folder, right? Um, and and they live there forever until you delete them. So uh, yes, you will have the new version on there, and yes, you potentially run the risk of launching the new version unintentionally, 
right? And and having to deal with that, but but it will not delete the old version uh, because they knew that it's really a separate program. It's it's not uh, it's a port to the Mac of the iPad version. It's not an update to the Mac version. So they they knew this and and made a, a special exception for it. So um, you're probably safe letting the update happen and having the new one around too, in case you get one of these new files and then you can do whatever you want. So, so there you go. We good with Larry, John? Yeah. All right, let's now move on with Larry. I'm going to move on to Larry. Brilliant. <laughs> Not the other Larry. Though, no, because it's too soon for that. But. It's too soon for that. That's right. That's ridiculous. John to go to Larry. We've got to deal with Larry first. So Larry writes and says, I just got this email from my cable provider and I will condense what's in it. It's an email from Cox saying you want a Doxus three. You should get a Doxus three cable modem because it's great. It's basically what they said. Then they say, uh, click here to buy or rent a new modem. So, so that's the ulterior motive, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but he says, you know, I'm happy with my internet speeds. Um, uh now we can but but he says he's getting a speed test uh he, he's getting a 32 millisecond ping he's getting 33 megabits per second down which is pretty good for a basic cable connection and seven up yeah will there be a difference i'd say almost certainly yes yeah almost certainly well just because i relayed my tale of woe where i had this doxis 2 scientific atlanta modem and I was getting terrible speeds and I thought it was my cable. I, re, you know, I shortened the cable length. So, so there wasn't as much loss and stuff and uh, just things still weren't going that great. So in my case, I swapped it out with my provider. Now in my case, it's, it's supposed, but well, it's, they don't charge extra. <laughs> it's free as long as you're a subscriber versus a, though I suppose you could buy your own if you wanted to. Oh, so you no don't, to. they don't break out a rental fee that you could avoid if you chose to buy your own cable modem. Is that right? Correct. Oh, that's interesting. Huh? Yet they supply it. Right. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, so for me, there's no good reason because the one I got is uh, now uh, I'll admit the, you know, the, the, the prior Doxis 2 one was, I mean, you know, was it inexpensive? I'll, I'll, I'll venture to say cheap. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Where's this one I got now, this Eris one that they gave me, which is also uh, actually, if I ever want to get voice, which they keep reminding me about getting every, every, uh, week i think yeah <laughs> uh this is actually a doxis 3 and a voice uh, or a voip modem if okay. they, they chose to have that feature so okay so i would say maybe you know if you're happy with your speeds now that's great but it could make your speeds better i certainly saw it in my case because you now have multiple uh channels i guess or data streams um and you'll see this uh, on the diag page if they let you get to it like i think uh you and i both have dave i think eight downstream channels and four upstream i think that's usually how they set up most people is that how doxis 3 is i can check um because i i i choose to lease my modem from comcast i have the option because i if i did not lease a modem from comcast i would um I, you know i could i could buy one and avoid it's about five bucks a month it might be six um but it's right in there but yeah i've got eight downstream and four upstream channels i just checked my modem by going to the uh, standard 192.168.100.1 address. Um, and uh, yeah, so 
and, and the reason I have a couple of reasons that I choose to rent mine. Number one is that the biggest one is that it's on Comcast to make sure that I have a working cable modem. And, uh, and I feel like that's worth its weight in gold at those moments that I have an issue. Uh, because there's none of the finger pointing of, oh, well, you're using your own cable modem, so uh, it's hard for us to diagnose and, and yada, yada, yada. So I, it, th- that's the biggest reason. The, the number two is I actually have two cable modems from Comcast. I pay them to rent one, but they've given me two. We have VoIP service, John, and we also have, uh, obviously, internet service. And at least as of about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, so this may have changed, since uh, when I when I moved up to the Doxus three, I did what you did. I just went down to the, the, the store and had them give me one. But uh, the woman there said, Hey, here's the deal. They don't carry the VoIP modems on the trucks. So I recommend you have two modems, one that you just use for your VoIP connection. And then the other that you use just for your internet connection, because that way, if your internet connection goes down, there is a truck in your area during the day that has a replacement for you. Whereas if you need to replace the VoIP part, we, you, we've got to order that or you've got to come in here and that sort of thing. So, um, so I have two modems, which is sort of weird. And, and I, I should check on that and see if that's still the case, but, um, but so far so good. Yeah. And they got this guy driving around with, with modems just, just in case you need one. That, that's all he does all day. That, uh, yeah. Well, sometimes that's what it takes to solve the problem, right? That's customer service. That's customer service. Yeah, you know, Comcast gets a lot of flack, and uh, I'm sure some of it is well-deserved. But my personal experience with their customer service time and time again has been fantastic. Uh, I always get some, well, not always, but I am always able to get someone that knows what they're doing and can help me. The, the, The best, the quickest path I find to that is to use their online chat. Now, obviously, if your internet connection is down, that's not uh, that's not going to work out. But uh, but using their online chat it has been it always seems to get me to someone that knows what they're doing and uh, and is always able to solve my problem. It's been it's been great. And the techs that come out really know what they're doing. It's good stuff. They're, they um, like I said, I know they get a lot of flack uh, and, and probably deservedly so. But uh, it, that is not a widespread thing that I have found, at least not in this area. But we're in Boston, or we're not in Boston. We're in the the Boston serviced Comcast area, which is one of their largest. And uh, so maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Did we answer Larry's question, or did did I tangentialize that right into oblivion? I think the answer is at some point you're going to want to, and I don't see any downside. I think we've gotten one or two reports of people who were clearly insane saying that when they got a Doxus three cable modem, their, their performance got worse. Yeah. That's either insanity or just bad hardware. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's bad hardware. I mean, right. I said, I see most of these guys. I mean, you know, they had one time when I went to cable vision, you know, they hide most of this now, but I remember when, you know, there was a big upgrade from the last, you know, big purge of the prior model. And they just took your cable modem and threw it in this big, what looked to be a garbage bin because right. I think they were going to throw them away. Right. <laughs> even some of the, you know, even the older equipment, they're like, well, technically you have to give it back to us. I'm like, but you're just going to throw it in the trash. You're right? going to throw it away. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Sad. 
All right, John. So it is uh, it is time to talk about Larry. But first, I want to talk about Harry's. Uh, Harry's is our first sponsor at Harry's dot com slash MGG. These folks at Harry's, uh, they figured out that buying going to the pharmacy and buying crummy, crappy razors uh, and spending, you know, 15 to 30 bucks on everything that you were going to need to buy anyway uh, was a losing battle and a bad experience. And so they created Harry's.com to completely turn that experience upside down. So now uh, instead of going to the pharmacy and spending 15 to 30 bucks on crappy razors and shave gear and all of that stuff, you go online to harrys.com and you spend 15 to maybe 30 bucks, but you can actually start really well at the $15 level. Uh, and you get really good stuff. Um, these are, it's a, it's a five bladed, uh, razor that you get. And the handle is really, really nice. Um, I, I've seen both the Truman and the Winston set. Uh, the Truman sets available for 15 bucks. The Winston sets available for 25. They both come with, uh, a tube of shave cream and this shave cream. It, I mean, I, I feel it's so decadent. I, f- I, I feel like it's like, it's not obviously, but, but the, the, it's like silk. When I put this stuff in my hands, it's so good and it doesn't over lather, but it gets, it's perfect. I, I, I love this stuff. It, it, if, uh, if I didn't love it so much to shave with, I would, uh, I would just like hold it in my hands all the time because it just feels so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a treat. I don't know. I think that's crazy, but, um, but I like it. It's so nice. And, uh, so they both come with the shave cream. They both come with, uh, I believe three heads. Um, and then, uh, uh, with razors in in the heads, the five bladed thing, and then and then the handle, um, and it it's so uh, this stuff this stuff has actually you know when when they when they first became sponsors, uh, I I uh, John and I both got kits, but prior to that, I mostly shaved with an electric, and uh, and this has converted me to like ninety percent of the time I now shave with. Uh, with the blade because it's, it's a much better shave it, it and the stuff is so good. And these, these, the blades last a, a while for me. It's not like I have to replace them constantly. And, and that's the, that's kind of the best part is you can, you go online and you, you buy your, your first kit from them. And, and again, using coupon code MGG, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, gets you five bucks off. So this Truman set, which is the, uh, the handle, the, the full tube of shave cream and the three heads, is uh is 15 bucks but you get it for 10 it's 10 bucks to try this out and i, I was hooked i mean they sent they sent us each a kit and i and i'm i'm hooked so uh you know you, you get a nice close shave it's a it it doesn't really take me any longer to to shave with this than it does with uh with the electric and it's a much nicer shave uh the whole kit it's actually very well done. It, it, it feels, it's got that Apple feel to it. When you open up the box, um, you, you know, you, you, you've got like a little card in there and it tells you it's sort of funny and kitschy and, uh, walks you through the process of shaving and, and, uh, and it has some little jokey stuff in there. It's fun. I, I'm not going to ruin all the surprises for you, but it's, it's, uh, it's well worth, uh, checking out, especially when you can start for, for just 10 bucks. But then if you, if you do get hooked, like, like I have, uh, then you, you can sign up, you can order refills one off, no problem at all. You can order blades or shave cream or, 
um, you know, the, the handles or whatever you want, but they also have shave plans if you want to do that. And they've actually got three different shave plans that they've set up one for the every shave, everyday shaver where you get um, stuff every two months, you know, that that's the most frequent they expect you that you would need to get refills from them. Um, the occasional shaver where you get a shipment every three months or the infrequent shaver where you get a shipment every five months. Um, I probably fall into that realm uh, because I get to do this for a living and I don't have to uh, have to shave. It's either this or I'm out playing gigs. And so either one works okay. But, um, but if that's either not, if that's not, if one of those three isn't exactly right for you, you build your own plan. You pick how much you want and uh, you know, how many blades, how many creams and the frequency that you want the stuff sent and you sign up or you just order when you know you need stuff. Uh, if, if you don't mind doing that, it, it, there is no, you don't get locked in unless you choose to sign up for a subscription, which of course you can cancel. So, uh, it's great, great stuff. And, and, you know, uh, it, it's, it's geared towards, towards guys. Uh, but there's nothing in the, in the rules that says, and in fact, we've had several female listeners write in and say that they have bought these not only for, uh, the men in their lives, but also for themselves and love it. So, uh, so check it out. Harry's.com. Uh, the coupon code is M G G and that gets you five bucks off the, uh, the, your first order with them. And, uh, and it is delivered for free. So you start with, ten, it literally costs you 10 bucks to try this out. So just go right now, harrys.com, place your order, put your address in, put your credit card in, and they aren't going to sign you up for subscription. Uh, you know, just, you, you just the one order, 10 bucks, use the coupon code MGG, and uh, that'll make sure it's 10 and not, uh, and not 15. Not that 15 is expensive, but you know, hey, five bucks is five bucks. So check them out and thank them for us, harrys.com slash MGG. G G. All right, John, are you all well shorn from, uh, from your Harry stuff? Can we now move on to, uh, to Larry? Yeah, I'm, I'm often well shorn. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I, I let it all go just because, you know, like you said, you can, because you can, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, but when I want to look civilized, then you have to interact with society. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> you know, the thing, Harry's. my, my wife, uh, I mean, I can notice the difference that, that these Harry's blades give me, but, uh, but my wife definitely notices the difference and she loves it. So, uh, so that was part of the, the, the impetus for me to, to switch to shaving with it, but it's, it's a nice process to just take a moment for yourself and, and, and shave. It's a, it's kind of a, a, a decadent little treat that doesn't really take that long. So, all right, moving on to, to Larry, because that is how we roll. Larry writes, uh, I'd written to you guys before about some USB idiosyncrasies I was having. In particular, I could find a hub to be able to power all my devices and charge my iPhone and iPad. Uh, you've given me the whole litany explaining amps and watts and things have gone swimmingly for a while. But now suddenly drives are not showing up. My iPhone will not mount. Uh, I had what I thought was an awesome seven port Aluratech hub. It seemed to provide enough power uh, to everything and all was cool for a while. Then suddenly last week, things started not showing up on my desktop. Last night, I spent about an hour and a half rearranging everything on my system. I did find one drive that was connected to the hub that needed to be repaired. So I did that. Uh, but it seems to be OK with the two drives connected. But when I connect a third, all goes haywire as well. If I connect my iPhone to the hub now, it's a Monty Python-esque Thin Mint. 
Uh, as has the hub gone bad? Is the port a bad on my computer? I'm completely at a loss. So let's, this is a good question because I've seen this happen. So let's take a step back here and forgetting uh, for a second about what used to work, though that's obviously important, but let's just diagnose what you're seeing right now. And what you're seeing now, you plug in two drives, it's okay. You plug in a third, it's not. That tells me that you're not getting enough power. The hub doesn't have enough power. The USB bus doesn't have enough power to, uh, to power three drives. It can do two, but it can't do three. So now, right? So that, I mean, that, and I, I think we'd all agree, John, that that's probably the, the correct diagnosis. We're not, we're not to the why yet, but, but it, would you agree with that? So far, yes. And I'm trying to determine whether this is a powered or not powered. It's a powered hub. It was. Yeah. But huh. yeah. So that's what I thought. Right. That's kind of unusual, but, but it happens. But it happens. But here's the thing that I, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, John, if you have a powered hub uh, and you happen to choose not to plug it in, it still works. It just takes whatever power it gets from the computer and passes it along to the bus, which is usually a lot less than it would have if it, if of course you had plugged in your own power supply to the thing. So uh, what it sounds like has happened here is that either the power supply for the hub has gone bad and it's just passing computer power through or uh, something about the hub has gone bad and is, even though the power supply is giving the hub power, the hub is not passing that through. Right. I mean, at some point in the chain, the power is not getting through to the USB bus. And and it certainly pardon me, certainly seems like that's what's uh, that's what's going on here. So my uh, my advice is you, you check the power supply. It could be, you know, if, if you've got a um, uh, I was going to say an ohm meter, but that's wrong. If you get a volt meter, which could also be an ohm meter with the switch at a different spot, uh, go ahead and check the you know the power coming off the, the 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 tip of the power supply see if you're getting power there if you're not and you happen to be one of those people like me that saves old power supplies from other things despite the fact that your family yells at you about it you might be able to dig into that box and find a compatible one and plug it in and be good to go just make sure it's the it's spitting out the the same um, not only the same the uh, the same uh, voltage but also that the tip and the ring are doing the same thing. So you want positive and negative to match what you're replacing it from. But, uh, but if you've got that great and if not, just go buy a new hub, a new powered hub. And uh, as it turns out, uh, we, we had given this advice to Larry and, and he did go buy a new powered hub. Uh, he went and bought an anchor hub and K E R we've, we here have had great luck or I've had, I don't know if you've got any anchor stuff, John, but, uh, but we've had some great luck here in the, Timo Towers East with the anchor stuff. It's at iAnchor.com, but they sell them on Amazon and all that stuff. They're, uh, they, they, they understand, they really understand USB power. That, that's, I mean, they make good products, but, but it comes from an understanding of USB power. They're the ones that figured out how to do, they, they have, what do they call it? Smart IQ, where you can have a, a charger brick that will send 2.1 amps to either iOS or Android devices, which uh, is actually kind of a trick because they both negotiate different ways. And so they've got 
some smarts in there that will negotiate the right way and allow all these things to, uh, to work. So, so these guys understand USB power and, and I feel pretty comfortable recommending them for this solution. And that's what Larry ordered. So hopefully, hopefully we'll, uh, oh, we'll hear from all right. you. Yeah. Because actually the one he was using as a matter of fact is not powered. Oh, interesting. I looked it up. It says plug and play. Well, you got to read this, right? It says, Hey, plug and play, just plug it in and start using it. Um, by the way, it doesn't have an external power adapter. It says no external power adapter needed, which may sound like a good thing, but that means that it's limited to providing the amount of power that's provided by the USB port that it's plugged into, which may not, uh, a powered hub has the potential to offer more. But John, I'm looking at this. It may say no power needed, but I'm looking at a picture of this Allura Tech seven port hub. And there are two ports on the front, two USB ports on the front, five USB ports on the back, a USB B port to link to the computer on the back and a DC power in port. So while it may not need external power, it certainly will take no. external power. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They don't word. They don't word that very well. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the answer is that, yeah, if, if it's not plugged in, then plug it in. Because sometimes, right. yeah, you may be reaching the limit of, uh, oh, yeah, look at that. Patch of co- package contents power adapter. There you so, go. So while I tout its ability to run without a power adapter, which I think nearly <laughs> almost anyone should. Be sure. Able to. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so the... Um, the thing that gets expensive uh, while we're talking about this with USB hubs is the USB three ports. Right. And, uh, and certainly if you've got a USB three Mac, you probably want some level of USB three ports, especially if you've got to give one up to plug into your hub, you want the hub to have at least one to pass that through and have full speed. But uh, some hubs do come with both USB two and USB three ports. And that can be a really handy and economical way to expand your system because there's a lot of things, your iPhone, um, you know, lots of older devices, your printer, that sort of thing do not need nor can use USB three. But you might have a hard drive or two that does use USB three and you want to be able to plug those into your to your hub. So um, so you could certainly can go get a hub that that has, you know, all USB three ports. But you're, you're going to pay a little more for that because each of those USB 3 ports, I don't know if it's a, a licensing thing or just simply the cost of technology. But uh, but you can I've seen some things that, you know, seven port hub that has three USB 3 and four USB 2 ports. And it's typically quite a bit cheaper than a, a seven port hub with all USB 3 ports. So it's worth checking out and and, you know, kind of bearing that in mind as you make your purchase decision as you expand. Yeah, good stuff, John. Yeah, actually, I found one here that I've used in the past on on a, on a work machine. Sateki twelve port USB hub. I remember I got this because uh, one of our friends reviewed it, uh, but also it has cool blue uh, LED uh, uh, lights for the ports, so you can see them. And <laughs> you know, but it also plugs in. But I actually did have a need to test twelve USB devices at once, and it handled it swimmingly. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. You know, I, I was looking up uh, these these anchor hubs uh, on Amazon. You can get the seven port anchor hub, which I believe is all USB three. So seven USB three ports for 30 bucks. So maybe you don't need to worry <laughs> at that price. Maybe you don't need to worry about uh, going overly cheap. That's that's um, 
that's a heck of a that's a heck of a deal and that's a that's on amazon there so there you go there you go so what do we have next here john um ted oh yeah ted oh yeah this is oh so this falls into the audio realm so i think uh it's gotta be me yeah all right so ted says i have a really odd problem we love those no less than five apple geniuses not only could not figure out the problem none of them had ever even heard of it uh, I recently replaced my old 2009 MacBook Pro with a 2013 MacBook Pro. I do audio recording from a small makeshift studio on my MacBook Pro using a powered USB hub into a USB port. The hub has a MIDI keyboard and three mics plugged into it. I use the audio MIDI utility to set up an aggregate device and record into Logic Express. The old Mac worked great, but my grandson kicked it and broke the headphone jack. Thus, a new computer. However, the new Mac... Uh, on the new Mac, aggregate devices do not work. Each individual mic works, but not the aggregate. Five geniuses had never heard of an aggregate device, and none of them could figure out what the problem was. Being only two months old, I asked for a new MacBook Pro, but they refused. It's currently in the shop getting a new logic board. Can you tell me how the aggregate actually works and what hardware controls it? And if possible, why the individual inputs would work, but not as an aggregate. Lots of technicians scratching their heads. Okay, so... Uh, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, this is a uh, an esoteric, well, not esoteric, it's a hidden, somewhat hidden, often unused, often unseen by most users feature of uh, the way the Mac works. When you are going to record uh, in an audio application like GarageBand or Logic, uh, typically what you get to do is pick one audio interface to use. Now that can be the built-in audio on your Mac, which has two typically two channels in and two channels out, right? Stereo in and stereo out, but you don't have to use them in stereo. You can, uh, if you, if you get the right adapters, you can send different things in and have two channels being recorded and, and two channels playing out. Uh, or you could get say, uh, you know, I have this, uh, this task cam us 1641 that has uh, 16 channels in and four channels out. And when I choose that, then inside Logic or GarageBand, instead of seeing two channels and being able to pick one or two on the input, I can pick one through 16 on the input. And that's really handy if you want to do some uh, recording like we do for the podcast here. I like to have, you know, we have John and me and Pete uh, when he's here. Uh, he screwed up the schedule today. He's in the chat room. I'll say hi to everybody in the chat room, including Pilot Pete at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Uh, but I have Pete and then, uh, and then our audio comments all come in. And so I have four channels actually, uh, going out and in, it's a whole big convoluted setup that we won't confuse this question with, but, uh, but that's how that works. Now where, where that gets frustrating is if you buy say three or four USB mics and you plug them into your Mac, like Ted is doing, each of them is a separate audio device. And so you can't. So if you, you can choose each one of them in GarageBand or Logic, but then it won't your Mac won't see the others. And that's frustrating. And you want to record all of them at once. And so the solution is something Apple has built for us. You launch an app that's in your applications utilities folder called Audio MIDI Setup. At the bottom, you'll see a little plus sign. What, what the app does is it shows you all the audio devices that are connected and you can set different things like the sample rate and the clock source and, you know, where things route and all of that. And it's great. But at the bottom, you have a little plus sign. And when you hit that, 
you get to create what's called an aggregate audio device. And that is what it sounds like. You, it's a virtual audio device that your Mac, uh, that you as the user get to assign actual audio devices to. So in my case, you know, I have this task cam and my built-in audio. I could choose to create an aggregate device that now lets me use the 16 inputs on the task cam and the two inputs on my built-in audio simultaneously and logic will see it as one device and therefore can address it all at once. So that's what an aggregate audio device says. Ted is using it for exactly the right purpose. The question is why doesn't it work on his new computer? And the answer is it should just work, but um, tip. There are a couple of things that can confuse this process. Um, and this gets into core audio and, and how things have been abstracted a little bit in more recent OSs. And those two things uh, that typically cause trouble are the clock source and the sample rate. The clock source is you get to decide what hardware device is being used to sync everything to in terms of uh, time, right? And uh, it, when audio comes in, it's got to it's got to lock into a time source. My experience, and I've mentioned this on the show as we've sort of gone through our audio Mavericks uh, trials and tribulations, John, is that using the built-in microphone as the clock source, even for an external audio device, often turns out to be the smartest move because the Mac works better with its own clock source in most situations than it does with an external. But the trick is you just try it and find out what works best for your situation. For us, the, the built-in clock source is 100% the right, the right decision, but we have our setup, your setup. It, it might be that you want to use the external device as a clock source. So that's, that's number one. Number two is the sample rate. Starting with 44,100 hertz or 44.1 kilohertz uh, is a pretty standard thing. And you, what you, whatever you choose for your clock source, you want to make sure, A, uh, it's the same on all of your devices, especially if you're doing an aggregate device and B that it is uh, something that's supported by all of your devices because not every device is going to support every clock source. So you go to each individual device, set it to, you know, whatever you want. 44.1 is a good starting point. And then also set your aggregate device to that. Hopefully that does it. Uh, I happen to know that this actually didn't help with Ted and he's, kind of dealing down a different path here. But, uh, but in a general sense, that's what aggregate audio devices are. And that's what they do can be really helpful. You know, I, I know a lot of you out there are uh, podcasters or doing some kind of audio recording. And, and certainly the easiest mics to work with are the mics that I call all in ones. They are USB mics. And uh, if you want to record more than one of them simultaneously, aggregate audio devices are your friend. So there we go. Did I, did I do well on that, John? I get it. <laughs> well, that, that, there we go, right? That's the goal. Hopefully everybody oh, gets I need, it. I need multiple USB mics in order to try this out. Right. You, you would need, well, uh, do you have a USB mic, John? I don't think so. Do you have a Bluetooth microphone? Yeah, I think I got one of those. So with a Bluetooth microphone or a single USB mic, you now have two separate audio input devices on your Mac. You have the built-in input and either the USB or the Bluetooth. And so you could aggregate the two of them together. Uh, okay. Right. You know, and then if that's kind of interesting, you know, you can get really creative because you can create a total Frankenstein 
of uh, of audio inputs. You, know, you could have one person on a, a wireless Bluetooth and one person on a wired thing, you know, plugged into USB and another person with a microphone, or, you know, plugged into the line in on your Mac and you can pull them all in and, and do it all. Now, you know, each one is going to have its own characteristics, but that's how microphones work. So. Makes it fun. I don't know. I like that stuff. And if you really like that stuff, tell me and eventually maybe we'll talk about we'll, we'll we'll do another show explaining our crazy setup here, because if that was interesting to you, then the show explaining uh, the way we do our audio here probably would be extremely interesting to you. Uh, if it's not interesting to you, then then you probably get bored hearing about that times like seven, because that's how our setup works here. But it's usually pretty awesome. All right. So. What are we moving on to here, John? We're moving on to Adam. Is it time? Sounds complicated. It does. I know. It's going to make us scratch our heads. It's too early in the morning to scratch our heads, John, but we must press on. He says, I've got a puzzler and none of my Google Foo skills have been able to turn up a solution for this. 35 Mac office mixed 10.8 and 10.9. So Mountain Lion and Mavericks environment. Eventually all going to Mavericks. Each person at my office has an Apple ID for the purpose of sharing calendars amongst other things. We can all subscribe to and view each other's calendars without a problem. The issue manifests like this. Say Alan, Bob, Carl, David, and Ed are all subscribed to each other's calendars view only. The settings in calendar are set to refresh every 15 minutes, remove attachments and alerts, and most pertinent, ignore alerts. Alan schedules a meeting and then invites Bob, Carl, and David. One or more of the invitees will get a calendar notification for every person invited. David will get notices that when he clicks on them shows that they belong to Bob and Carl's calendars, not being an admin on those calendars. He can't accept or reject them. So they just come back at a later time after being dismissed. Ed also might get notices and he's not even invited to the meeting. He might, check, he might just get alerts for upcoming items on the other's schedules. This happens on any device they view calendars on, Mac or iOS. It does not happen for every calendar they are subscribed to. Personally, I get notices for only two or three of the 40 calendars I'm subscribed to. My bosses seem to get more, and since they have more meetings scheduled than me, they get a lot of notices. Hence, I search for an answer to this problem. Taggling, toggling, ignore alerts does not help. Deleting and resubscribing to the calendar does not help. I've thought of trying to get new subscription links created somehow, but that's impractical to implement. I'm running the Yosemite beta on a spare laptop, and when given the same settings, I get no notices intended for other users. So while Apple is apparently aware of this issue and knows how to fix it, I need something I can do now, not later this year. So, yeah, the ignore alerts feature is, in my experience, only there to ignore the uh the, the like the the reminders that you put in your calendar you when you set up a meeting you can say uh you know alert me an hour before this meeting so i know to get ready for it or five minutes before this meeting so i know to you know wrap up what i'm doing and and make the phone call or wh whatever it is right you can set those alerts in iCal you can set them in every calendar program that exists those are the alerts that when you subscribe to someone else's calendar, like if you were to subscribe to the Mac Geek Cab calendar, you may choose and you can do that at MacGeekCab.com slash calendar. Uh, and that way, you know, when, when we're recording the live show and if we're at any events or anything like that, um, and you can choose to ignore alerts there. However, 
that doesn't, in my experience, I, I, you know, been like Adam, I don't see that you still get the notifications for invitations and that sort of thing. It, and maybe Apple has fixed that in Yosemite because you shouldn't be getting those, but the way you're using iCal, uh, sorry, the, <laughs> I called it iCal. The way you're using iCloud calendar is not at all what it was intended to be used for, Adam. This is it's not meant to be a work group calendar solution. You've you've kind of cobbled together a semi workable scenario and, and kudos to you for doing that. Uh, we, we love those kind of workarounds here, but it, it is fraught with opportunities for disaster. First of all, everybody has to manually subscribe to each other's calendars. And if something changes on one computer, you know, and Bob deletes his his work calendar and creates a new one. Everybody then has to go resubscribe to that and he has to reshare it. And it's this, you know, many to many relationship that that requires a lot of uh, of of brain power at the very least to manage and and troubleshoot. And here we are. My advice would be as great. And, and I really do believe that that iCloud calendar is a fantastic calendar solution. Uh, I use it for a lot of what I do. I know you use it, John, and we use it together for our Mac Geekab calendar. But uh, it is not meant to be a workgroup calendar solution. Uh, there is a way of doing that if you set up an OS 10 server, which again can be done for what is it, twenty bucks to upgrade from OS 10 to mm-hmm. OS 10 server, right? So cheap. You got to dedicate a Mac to it. Maybe uh, you might already have a Mac that that can uh, run this stuff in the background. It's not super intensive, and you can run a CalDAV server on that and do more work groupy kind of stuff, or you could sign up for uh, exchange an exchange server account, uh, either again, self-hosted or managed uh, in the cloud elsewhere. And that's going to do a lot more of what you actually want. This is truly built to be an enterprise work group calendar solution uh, that iCloud calendar is not meant to be. So you want a true CalDAV or exchange server of your own, and I think you you clearly have the chops to manage it, uh, and you can probably convince your bosses. If you have an extra Mac, it is literally a $20 expense uh, to upgrade to OS X server. If you don't have a spare Mac, well, then you either get to choose to buy one and manage it yourself or the monthly fee for each account on a, you know, on a hosted exchange or, or other, other type of server. That's my advice, John. You, you've, you've, you've dealt with this too, right, John? It, uh, the only thing that I noticed is that in um, in the calendar app, if you go to preferences alerts, there is a checkbox, which I don't have checked probably because I never needed to. But the title of it is turn off shared calendar messages and notifications center. That may cut down on the chatter a bit. Yeah, there's actually a couple of settings in there as well as the default action for events, all day events and birthdays. So yep. uh, I want to fiddle with that a little bit, but I'm with you, Dave. I mean, uh, yeah, the the server server based solution like uh maverick server i'm looking at it right now and it's off because yeah i don't host the calendar server sure i should maybe maybe we should yeah i I, you know it as i think as i it's funny you know as i was answering this question i'm i'm thinking gosh you know i've cobbled together a, a solution here for us right we you and i have a shared calendar that we do mac geek gab stuff but I also have Lisa subscribed to that in a read only fashion, like, like any of our listeners could be. 
so that she knows when I'm recording the show. And then I have a calendar. Uh, it used to just be for my gigs, but now that my son, uh, you know, uh, when, once my son started playing sports and my daughter started uh, doing dance recitals and then playing gigs uh, with the drums, uh, we just made it a, a, a Hamilton games and gigs calendar. Right. And so we all publish our, um, our, our gigs and, and games to that. And that way, a, we all see each other's, but, we also like my dad and my brother can subscribe to that calendar and see when there's stuff going on. So, um, so we've cobbled it together and it, it does work, but I, I wonder if running a, you know, a CalDAV server and listen, I could run one in Mavericks. I could run one on my Synology, right. You know, that that's got totally got the ability sure. and it's running all the time, which is kind of why I default to that. It's like, can I, can I use this device? Can I use my Synology for that? Because it is running all the time and it's, kind of built to, to be my, my, my default server for services like that. Maybe I should. I definitely should. Why haven't I, this is crazy, John. I def I'm going to do that. You know what? Uh, I'm going to do it in my, in my free time this week, but you know, between flying to and from Cupertino for the, the Apple event and all that good stuff. I'm sure I'll have plenty of time this week to, to handle that, but we should, it'd be fun. And if we both set them up, I wonder if we can sync between them. I haven't, I haven't done enough with, with that to know. I don't know. Indeed. Yeah. Fun. All right. What are we doing? We going to, uh, is it Louis? You know what? Let's, um, I want to talk about our, uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor, John, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show is Linda L Y N D a.com slash M G G. This is, I, <laughs> I love when our sponsors fit the needs of our users. In fact, we, we typically um, with, with very, very few exceptions, we won't take a sponsor that, that we don't feel uh, at least fits the same metric that, uh, that, that we use for any topic in the show, which, which I call our 20% rule. Something has to apply to 20% or more of the people in the show for us to include it. That, that involves questions uh, as well as sponsors, but Linda is one of those that I feel like is a hundred percent match. Uh, and it's because they offer something that is exactly parallel to what we do here at the show. You know, you listen to the show, well, for our witty banter and, and uh, insight into whatever it is we believe. But, uh, but I think that, you know, the, the, obviously the meat of, of what we offer here is technical advice, uh, answering questions, and helping you learn more about the stuff that you use every day. And that's what Linda does too. Uh, they produce these killer videos, right? I mean, it, these are so well done. They, they, you know, they, they're pros. They have pros doing the, the, the talent, if you will, right? People uh, that really know what they're doing and, and people that, you know, you know, Chris Breen does a bunch of videos. It, 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 these, these are, these are folks, you know, creating videos, but they're produced by, excellent pro producers at Linda and you can learn about all kinds of different things there. Uh, certainly tech stuff. And, and if all you used your Linda subscription for was uh, learning tech stuff, you could, you could just constantly absorb new information and never run dry. You know, they, they, they keep creating new courses, um, but it's not just tech stuff. You know, I mean, certainly they do. You want to learn about Adobe creative cloud done. You want to learn about Microsoft Office? Done. Final Cut Pro, QuickBooks, all of it, right? OS 10, they, they always do stuff. I'm sure with iOS 8 
and uh, eventually Yosemite coming. Uh, the, you know, you're going to be able to, to, to really do a deep dive and just say, here I go. I want to, you know, dig in and learn about, uh, you know, uh, iOS eight. And you're just going to all at once be able to absorb all this information. That's taught by somebody that actually knows what they're talking about and produced in a really, really well, well done way. Uh, but they've also got, you know, business courses. If you want to learn about accounting, you can do that. You want to learn about managing people. They've got, you know, management professors and former management professors out there doing this stuff. I mean, this is really, this is the future of learning. And I know, and I, I mean, I say that knowing full well that Linda's been doing exactly this for a long time, but I really feel like this is where we're all going. You know, we're all connected. Uh, you, you don't need to leave your house to, to listen to a lecture. Obviously, if you want to engage in, in some one-on-one -on -one with a professor, that's different, but you know, learning stuff is uh, you can do a lot. And especially if you want to learn how to program or that kind of stuff, you know, it's great. You set up your iPad, you stream the Linda video there, and then you do your coding and testing. Or even, I mean, you don't even have to do that with programming. If you want to do it with QuickBooks or, or, or Photoshop, right? You know, you, you, you can watch the video on your iPad and it and you can have it pause or not at the end of each chapter. And I always often have it pause if I'm doing a, an interactive thing like that, where I want to, okay, yeah, I got it. Now let me mess around with this and touch it and play with it and let it sink in. Okay. Now I'm good. And I press play and I move on to the next chapter. So uh, these folks, they totally know what they're doing. Uh, they've been, like I said, they've been doing it for a long time and it's great. You know, they, they, like, like I said, they break each course up. So even if it might be a several hour long course uh, you can, you know, if you've got 15 minutes, that's enough time to, to, you know, progress a little bit further and, and do it in a bite sized way. And again, you can do, you can stream this stuff to your iPhone, to your iPad. Um, a Linda subscription starts at 25 bucks a month. That's unlimited access uh, to stream everything from lynda.com, lynda.com. And if you visit lynda.com slash MGG, you get your first seven days for free. No obligation, no nothing. And you could watch literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week for those first seven days and, uh, and absorb everything you wanted. Uh, and then it's not going to be everything you wanted though. Cause if you're actually doing that, you you're going to want more because it's just the type of person you are. And I think as a Mac geek listener, you're probably not going to do seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but you're going to do a couple of courses a month. And at 25 bucks, that's short money. So check it out. Lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. They taught me, uh, they really helped me learn regular expressions with a course that uh, listener Mike uh, suggested to me. It's great stuff. They're so well done. It's great learning stuff from people that know what they're talking about. And you know that because you listen to us here at Mac Geek Up. So extend that. When you don't have for the, you know, for the remaining hours of the week that our 90 minute show does not occupy lynda.com slash MGG. will got you covered. Check it out and, uh, and thank them for us on your behalf too. Right. Is that, did I say that right? I think so. Right. Right. All right, John, take, take us to, uh, are we going to, I know we've done Larry and Larry and Larry Lewis. and Harry, but now it's time for, I believe Louie or, or Louie. Yeah. Right. Could be one or the other. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure which listener this is. We have a couple of Lewis. We have a couple of Lewises and a couple of Louis. This I'm not sure which. This one might might just be Lewis. I think you're right, John. Hi guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I've configured my Airport Extreme and Ethernet connected iMac for IPv6 using your directions and the TunnelBroker.net. 
tunnel. Nice. All seems to be well, and my network is working fine. I have a question regarding the three Airport Express base stations, two first gen and one second gen. I have around my house to extend my network. Currently, they're all set to extend a wireless network. Okay, that's good. And configure IPv6 is set to link local only. Should that be set as automatically or manually? Question mark. Uh, should they be set to enable IPv6 connection sharing? Oh, I got a few answers here. Yeah, so, I'm curious here, about this. Well, actually, I don't think link local is the right setting. Now, how can you tell what the right setting is? Well, I'll tell you how I think I can tell. Okay. Because I'm extending mine. So if you, if you go to airport utility, hit edit, you'll see a number of tabs on the top here. I think the first tab you want to look at is the internet tab. Um, you're going to know things are working right because what I see here, Dave, is there's an IPv6 DNS server entry and it has something there. So I'm going to suspect that the way I am set up on this extension is correct because I'm getting an IPv6 address for the DNS. Uh, okay. Also, if you click on Internet Options in that window, you will see Configure IPv6. And I I don't believe I changed this manually. I believe it just kind of set itself up the right way and it set itself up as automatic. And okay. IPv6 mode is native because the tunnel is being done by another computer, right? Yes, and correct. And then enable IPv6 connection sharing I have on. Now, why do I have that on? Do I want to share? Hmm. I'm going to have to look and see what that means. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> well, it's checked. And then it shows IPv6 default route. Okay, good. Again, so it shows it's it speaking IPv6. And that's how I have that set up, at least in internet options. Okay. Look into that connection sharing. Who, who am I sharing with? Maybe I should turn that off. Well, not now. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Please not now. That's right. Well, no, actually, none of none of the things I'm on here right now are on the extended network. Oh, I got you. OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then wireless, as we said, so now we're going to the wireless tab and yeah, network mode, should extended matter. wireless networks. So right. It should be and then network should say router mode off bridge mode if you're running as an extension. And then also in that um, screen, there's network options dot dot dot. And if you click on that. It's going to say block in incoming IPv6 connections, and uh, that was checked for me. Okay. And then allow incoming IPsec authentication. I wonder if that has to do with that connection sharing setting in the other box. It wouldn't surprise me. T two things about the same topic in different areas. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, but I don't recall doing any of this. It just kind of fell into place here. Now, it could be because this is, I think, a fourth generation um, express. No, maybe the maybe the other ones you got to tweak them. Isn't there only two generations of Airport Express? Or am um, I am I confused? I think you're confused. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. I'm sorry. Second generation. Okay. How did I know that? So I clicked on the airport, and then if you click on the edit button and you hold down the option key, it will give you a summary screen. And right here it says Airport Express 802.11n second yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. I think my uh, my Extreme, I think, yep. is fourth generation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, so that's my answer. So it sounds like, um, so at least in my case, the second generation just, just kind of got it. Um, it. It set itself up properly. So it has, it has, it doesn't have just a link local uh, IPv6 address. Mm -hmm. It has a true IPv6 address that, that came via your tunnel. Is that, is that a fair assessment, at least based on what you can tell here? 
Well, it's getting IPv6 information, uh, though it's in native mode. I think that yeah. answers your question. Yeah, so it's well, not, it's, it should be in native mode, right? Because you, you, your, your network is being serviced by the tunnel that's created by the one router. You certainly don't need right. to create separate tunnels. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, so, okay, so this is interesting, and this is where uh, I, Apple is further ahead on this stuff than uh, the firmware that I use, I, you know, I use those Buffalo routers, but I use the DDWRT firmware, which is available for a lot of different routers. And the IPv6 support is very, very new in these. Uh, it's been there for a while, but essentially what you had to do was turn it on and then build a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Unix style configuration files uh, in order to get IPv6 working. Only, only, only very, very recently, the last... Basically, from when we started talking about it here, it's sort of the impetus for us to talk about it was that some uh, one of the, the developers who creates a fork of, of DD Wirt um, named Kong uh, started building true, you know, uh, single button click IPv6 support in. And it was with the help of a lot of, of the community. He basically took the work that the community had done and 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 baked it in. So instead of you having to go to a website and say, copy this, this and this into this spot, he just did it. And when you flip the switch, it does it. However, Kong, Kong. Yeah, I know. Hmm. I know. Hey, listen, you know, he does great work. I assume it's a he. I, 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 I'm 99% certain it's a he, but I'll put, uh, I'll put Kong's DD Wirt um, page up. I'm trying to think if there's an easy way to do this. I think all I can do is link you to his, um, his, uh, yeah, to the, his, his repository, which, which I'll do. It's fine. Um, but it's good stuff, right? Um, it's a little geeky installing it because that's, that's how it works. But, uh, so it works great on my main router, like, like you, you know, I don't have to set up a tunnel, but I have my main router getting the IPv6 and servicing the network. And it works great. Every client device that I have, um, connects there where it gets weird is I don't think and, and I've, I've tried to ask this question, haven't really gotten an answer. Um, I don't think there's built in support or there's not single click support in these routers for setting up the routers as client devices. If I set up, if I enable IPv6 on one of my routers, that's effectively in bridge mode, John, it goes, I think it's going out and getting its own IPv6 range from Comcast. It's I don't think, think it's joining my you know uh one range that the main router is getting i gotta dig into that more and and i gotta learn how how better to to answer that question and then turn it on and see what's happening but i from when i when i did it the first time i i think it was it was getting like i was getting it in in uh in your to, to to equate it to your scenario i think i was effectively getting a second tunnel i mean i don't have to tunnel but i think it was just treating it that way so I have it turned off on my on my bridge mode routers. It doesn't stop the clients that connect to them from getting IPv6 because the bridge mode routers just pass things through. Uh, so it works fine for all my clients. But but the only router that I have that has an IPv6 address is the the my main one that's actually in router mode. And it, and it, and it, and all the clients work fine. It's just it's kind of frustrating from a geek level knowing that I've got devices on the network that aren't getting. IPv6 addresses, but that's true of like my Sonos devices as well. So, you know, that's how it goes. Are we good here? I think so. All right. Uh, 
So let's see. Let's move on to let's move on to Jed. Jed, I, I love these kinds of hacky ish things. So Jed writes, uh, based on your recommendations, I got a couple of Sonos units a couple of months ago, and I'm so happy. I'm actually even hearing you guys go through the new products makes me realize how good the Sonos is. Awesome. He says, however, uh, all my music is stored on my Mac mini. I feel bad leaving it powered on all the time. So I've been debating getting a low cost NAS device just to store my music. I can't really justify getting the Synologies yet. Any suggestions on a simple hard drive NAS just to host my music library? I have an airport extreme. Should I just hang a drive off of that? It seems so inelegant, but maybe that's the best solution. So yeah, you know, there, there is, that is a, a NAS solution, right? It, you know, it's network attached storage at its most basic level and it's cheap, right? You can hang a drive off your airport, uh, extreme yeah airport extreme but you could hang it off, you know hang it off of your router in any kind of way if your router can share it your sonos could connect to it um remember bear in mind that i, I and i believe this is still true even with the 5.1 update sonos will only connect using smb not afp to your music library but since all apple devices support smb um, and in fact it's the preferred way in mavericks it that's okay so you, yes this would totally work and it is you know, quote unquote, a poor man's NAS, probably the wrong term, but I think it, it sends, sends the right, checks the right box. It's an inexpensive NAS. However, Synology, you say that, uh, you know, that, that you can't justify paying the money for a Synology. And that may well be true for the, you know, the super hoopty uh, stuff like, you know, like the, the DS 1513 plus that, that I like to use, or even the 412. I mean, you're in the, you know, four to six hundred dollar range for just the, the bare metal, and then you've got to put drives in it. Um, it does a lot of great stuff, but you know, if all you're looking to do is share your music, that, that's sort of hard to justify. However, you know, the two drive DS two fourteen SE, which you can get for about one hundred and seventy bucks empty, uh, that's not a bad place to start because you're actually you're in the Synology world. It runs a full version. Of, of DSM Synology disk station manager. Um, it's not beefy enough to stream, to transcode video and stream it. But if you've got video that, uh, you know, is, is of the format that say your Apple TV can, can receive video station will likely be able to stream that for you. Um, but even without that, it'll do lots. And the best part is if you decide down the road that you really love Synology and want to upgrade to a bigger, better, better, faster unit, you take your drives out, put them in the new one and all your data goes with you. And now you're used to DSM and you know how that works. But if your only goal is to share iTunes and yeah, hanging it off of an airport extreme extreme is a totally fine and valid option. And there's no reason not to, uh, not to consider that, but, but you can get yourself into the, you know, the Synology world for pretty darn cheap. If, if you want to head down that path and John, actually you, you found something this week that's even cheaper, right? I was amazed. Yes. So I got, um, uh, an email from Synology saying, Hey, we got something new. Yeah. The DS one, one five J. Uh, and I think it's so new that I can't find any shops that are selling it yet, but okay. I did find a review because I'm wondering, well, how much is it? Right. You know, so it's a single bay. Looks pretty basic, though not basic basic as as in wimpy. And it, it, it seems I'm not entirely clear on the 
how much of the video heavy lifting it can do here. I think it's, I think it's probably the same as the 214 SE that it'll, that it'll, it'll stream. I I read a little bit when you mentioned it pre-show, I, it'll, I believe it will let video station, which is Synology's video streaming app, which is awesome. By the way, it's pretty much replaced Plex for us here in the, uh, in the Hamilton household, both for streaming to our TV, as well as syncing to our iOS devices. But, um, but I think again, it'll 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 stream a file as long as it doesn't have to do any transcoding of that file. So if the file is in a format that your Apple TV can understand natively or your app your device, then you're good to go. So yeah, yeah, it's um, I think and I think so. Yeah, I think you've got the OneDrive version of a uh, Synology. You get no fault tolerance if the drive goes bad, you're done. Uh, but. But I think, what did you find the price on that to be the, or the MSRP or um, one article? Well, ahead in both euros and us dollars, okay. uh, but it looks to be about one twenty. One hundred and twenty bucks. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, I mean, that's a nice little uh, way to, and that's empty, right? You've got to put your own drive in or, or buy a drive, but uh, uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah. 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 But you know, so for, for 200 bucks, you've got a, uh, a NAS unit that can do a lot of stuff. It can even run your CalDAV server. Like we were mentioning it, it's full DSM in these things. So that's where it gets really interesting is, is, you know, you get the benefits of this software that's built for NAS, you know, arrays of, of, you know, 16 drives and whatever. And it just works in these smaller units, which is very, very cool. So you could run BitTorrent sync on it. You know, you can run uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, which is cool. And I think that one they said has what, 256 megs of Ram. It's not a ton, but it'll, it'll get a lot of it done. Right. I would hope so. That's what we hope. We all hope hope. That's the beauty of hope, right? Is, uh, well, they got a nice comparison in the, uh, in the, the, the link, uh, they, okay. they compare They compare the performance to other, uh, low end ones here. So I see the one twelve plus the one fourteen, the one fifteen J and the one twelve J. So they, Help you understand where it fits in the uh, their ecosystem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Awesome. All right. So that scratches Jed off the list. Uh, where are we on time here? I think we've got time for a couple of quick tips, John. Um. Yeah. I, this is another one of these. So. Uh. We talked about Mark. In, uh, in in Mac Geek Cab 516, where he wanted to have his his NAS device accessible to all of his uh, local computers, but uh, was not comfortable letting his NAS device be accessible uh, to or from the Internet. And we came up with a couple of solutions, but listener John offered yet another uh, interesting solution. This would work for any device that you don't want uh, that you want accessible on your local network, but don't want or need to have internet access. And he says, assuming the device supports static IP addressing spoof or change the gateway value, simply do not assign the actual gateway IP address to the device by using a non-valid gateway address. The device will not be able to send or receive traffic to or from anywhere, but the local network. Uh, so he says Mark could try to leave the gateway field blank on his Synology, but lots of devices require some assigned value in that field. The value can assign to the uh, gateway address can be anything. It can even be another device already on the network. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, the way that works is 
when you're setting up an IPv4 device, I, I'm trying to think of how this would work with IPv6, John, but uh, it might be, I don't know. I don't know. You might want to turn off IPv6 at this point because IPv6 isn't going to do you any good on your local network anyway in that sense. Um, so turn off IPv6 just to limit confusion and then uh, set a static IP address for your IPv4, your, your quote unquote normal IP for the, the device. And then when you set up IPv4 addresses, if you're doing them manually, you have to set up the gateway, which is typically the address of your router. And what that does is it tells the, uh, in this case, the Synology, if I'm not connecting to something on the local network, I have to ask the gateway to help me get out to the internet. Um, I think that's a fairly correct description of that. Right, John, would you agree? Sure. Okay. All right. I mean, you know, you, you, you put in that this is the gateway we're going to use to get out of our local network. And if that gateway will not respond, then you can't get out of the local network, but you can still connect to everything in the local network. So if, if your gateway address is say 192.168.1.1, if you set your Synology to uh, the gateway of 192.168.1.2, uh, then it's not going to be able to get out because unless you have a second gateway at .1.2. Which you might if you're crazy and you have multiple internet connections servicing your your local network, which is totally possible, but you probably don't. Uh, but if you do, then set it to dot three or dot one hundred or you know something in that realm, and uh, and that should solve that problem. I like it. It's a good hack, John. Don't you think, John? Yeah, it makes me uneasy. Does it? Well, it's not. It's a, you're not supposed to do it that way. Well, I know. <laughs> But that's the beauty of it as you just tell it done good to go. You could also program your router to not let that uh, device communicate on the Internet. Right. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know that you can do this with an Apple router, but with mine, I can set up, you know, a parental controls window where certain devices are not allowed to communicate on the Internet between certain hours and, you know, things like that. Right. You can set up all that stuff. So I could just set. Okay, this device never allow it to communicate on, on the internet, and then, and then that would do it too. Yeah. Oh yeah, they got that. They got a. They do right. Internet network. Uh, yeah. Enable. Uh, yeah. So in the network tab uh, in the airport utility, enable access control, and you have timed access control, and you can control it by uh, you know IP address and all that. So as long as the person trying to you know, get out isn't smart enough to uh, change their IP. On right. Their own. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Well that, right. That's yes. And hopefully your Synology is not smart enough to, to change its IP because if it is, then, you know, it, it's time for Skynet and we're, we're heading down the wrong path. Right. Yeah. Skynet. Right. Right. Did I get that reference? Right. I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. The, the machines are going to be self-aware. That's right. Yeah. I feel like that might not be a bad thing. No, that would, that might be, no, I think it'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. Yeah. They'll decide that we're unnecessary. That's the thing, right? That's how it always ends up. It is. When the machines get smart. They get too smart. It's too smart. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, a quick one from Eric before we wrap things up today, John, he writes, you know, we were talking about buying a refurb Apple TV for 75 bucks, which you can still get. Um, but he says, if you spend the 99 bucks uh, on an Apple TV from Apple, you get a free 25, well, not free, included with that $99, you get an Apple TV and 
a $25 iTunes store gift card. So if you are going to be buying movies uh, and renting movies and want to head down that path, then uh, you can go that route and add 25 bucks to your, uh, to your iTunes account. So that's a, that's a great find. So either way you're buying refurb or new, you're getting a full hundred dollars uh, or you're getting, you know, a $75 value for the Apple TV, assuming you're going to use that $25 gift card on the, uh, on the other one. So thanks for pointing that out. That's, that's good stuff. We're always looking for good deals like that. And with that, John, I believe it's time. It must be. The show's over. Well, not quite over yet. So, hey, uh, we've got a couple more days uh, before we do the cutoff on the uh, on the premium uh, gifts that we're going to send out. And I've seen some of you topping up your, your accounts to make sure. We said it was going to be the 10th. Realistically, it's probably going to be the 11th. So, well, you've got through the 10th because I'm flying out and, you know, it's going to be crazy. I'm actually not flying back until the 10th. So I'm going to be out in California on the night. Uh, And then uh, and then we'll we'll put together the list and we'll confirm your addresses with you and all that stuff that we have done for you in the past. And uh, and then we'll send out the mug. So if you want to learn more about Mac Geekab Premium, you can go to MacGeekab.com slash premium and that will uh that will get you there. And we certainly appreciate your support and uh, are happy to do these gifts uh, each year to ensure that uh, it's just our way of saying thanks is what that is. So uh, so go ahead and... Uh, okay, we're here. You know, I keep having Time Machine backup start that keeps screwing up the audio because that's like the one thing that likes to chew up CPU and disk and all that. And, uh, Maybe you should change the scheduling of that. I did, dude. And then I no, just you noticed. You didn't do it right. I clearly didn't do it right because I just noticed that it was on in the Time Machine settings, which it should not be if I'm using Time it's Machine wrong. Editor. It's wrong. I'm, I totally screwed it up. I apologize for that. So, uh, so yeah, check it out. MacGeekUp.com slash premium. If you're interested in Able, we certainly appreciate it. And we're looking forward to sending out the thank you gifts to those of you that have... Uh, contributed up uh, up to or more than a uh, hundred bucks since the since the last gift so all right um, and if you are a premium member you can email us at premium at macgeekab.com and that is reserved just for you but if you're not a premium member that's okay too we totally get it and that's why we have feedback at macgeekab.com and we do attempt to answer everything that comes in to both addresses and this week again we succeeded so uh that is our goal but the premium stuff definitely gets the nod uh first because that's how it works feedback at macgeekab.com that's what he said and feedback at macgeekab.com is what he said what's the phone number john 206-666-geek which is his Four three three five on your uh, on your on your telephone device. There, it's good. On your touch tone pad. That's right. That's right. Or pulse if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, you could pulse dial that if you if you so chose. Really? Why not? I mean, if you have a phone that does that, still, I don't know if your phone system would support it. I, I think a while back they started doing it where if you pulse dial, it actually converts it to the. Um, to the to the the, the multi frequency oh, tones, gosh. right? I don't, mm. I don't know. Anyway, uh, 
Tell them about Twitter, John. Twitter.com. Everybody's there. And uh, if you're on there, I am John F. Braun. He's Dave Hamilton. The other guy's Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mac Geekab, and the publication is Mac Observer. All on Twitter.com. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston, who's also on Twitter.com at Michael Johnston. He, uh, he is the host of the iOS show podcast, which is a killer show. I highly recommend you listen to it. He also is the one that converts this show to AAC and adds the chapters. So thank you so much, Michael. Yeah, but folks, go listen to that show. He does a great job with it. It's awesome stuff. And, uh, of course, I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Uh, I want to thank the folks in our podcast marketplace. Of course, that includes Harry's with the coupon code MGG. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MGG for seven days free there. Barebones.com. Uh, smile at smilesoftware.com. Gazelle to sell your old iOS stuff. Get that in. Squarespace.com with the coupon code MGG, but also visit squarespace.com slash MGG. And of course, the folks at Drobo, also the makers of the transporter. Awesome stuff there. So check that out too at drobo.com. John, lasting advice? No. Well, okay. Don't get caught. Made up.